Well, good evening. I hope everybody had a blessed day. If you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, we're going to begin our study there. And we're going to continue on from this morning in which we were been looking at the two advents or two comings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And continue on, and, and we'll be going back into the Old Testament to look at the first coming and how the nation of Israel they, and the, the Jewish teachers didn't understand that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to come and that the Messiah had two separate comings, but they looked at it as one event and that they primarily looked at and they were absorbed with is the coming of the king, the one that was going to come and rule Israel and restore the glory to Israel and to make that nation great again. Restore it to a time where all the nations of the world would come and bow before the Messiah, before the king, and worship him and pay homage to him. They didn't see that the first coming was going to be one of suffering. That one had to come and deal with the sin issue of mankind. You see, the new covenant talks about, and what God made a covenant with, with uh, um, Israel and with Jacob, is that he's going to remember their sin no more. And he had to deal with sin in order to do this. In order to forgive sin, there must be shedding of blood. You see, Israel didn't see that part of the Messiah, that he had to come and to suffer and to die for sins and to come and pay the ultimate price. And as we get into the scriptures, we see there's actually two comings where the Messiah, it's one Messiah, not as some have portrayed of the Messiah ben Joseph and Messiah ben David, that it's two distinct individuals, that one comes and suffers and dies, and one comes and rules and reigns. But it's one person. It's the Messiah coming from the tribe of Judah, from the lineage of David, very specific, and being born from Bethlehem, the scriptures of all laid this out, and not only born of Bethlehem, but born of a virgin, that it did not carry the, the sin nature that's passed on from man to man that's been passed on from Adam. But God's not slack concerning his promise, and just as in the encouragement that we have right now and looking at this is just as God has prophesied that the Messiah was going to come, God has also prophesied and told us that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is going to come again a second time. Some mock, some think that, where is his coming? Why is he delayed? Where is he at? We've been talking about it for years. But just as the Messiah came the first time, the Messiah will come the second time. The glorious coming, the king will come. And what we described as the first coming as a lamb. He came, meek, lowly, riding on a donkey. He came to serve, he came to suffer, and he came to die. But the second coming is going to be the lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah. He's going to come and he's going to set this world straight. He's going to restore Israel to their uh, privilege here on earth. He's going to set up Jerusalem as the capital to where nations from all around will come and pay homage and worship the king. He will rule in righteousness and in fairness. No longer will wickedness, no longer will there be fighting, no longer will there be wars. But you're going to have the king that's going to be sitting on the throne of David. And his kingdom will be forever. It's an eternal kingdom that will have no end. But look at Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. But when the fullness of time had come, you see, God's timing is not our timing. God doesn't change his viewpoints based upon our viewpoints. God doesn't change his timing based upon, I think he should hurry up. God's timing is perfect. And if you think about it, when the Lord Jesus Christ came, the Messiah, when God sent forth his son, the eternal son, as we've already read, uh, we looked at this morning, that he was from everlasting, he was eternal. That Jesus Christ was the creator of all things, the son of God, the eternal one. In perfect timing, God took his son and he sent him. The first time in history, God took on flesh and blood, took on humanity, took on humanity and walked on this earth. What a tremendous Savior we have that not only the Messiah came, but the Messiah was both God and man. But in this perfect time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. He came to represent us. The fullness of time had come. And you see, the fullness of time will come as well when the second coming of Christ will occur. When he's going to come, God will say it's time, and here he'll come. But he was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. That is us. The law condemns. You just lay the Ten Commandments before us and we fall short. But the Lord Jesus Christ came. The Messiah came, born under the law. He kept the law in its entirety, failing in no points. No deceit was found within him. And he was able to go to the cross and represent mankind because he was both God and man. He had to be man to represent us on the cross he had to be God in order to endure the eternal punishment to redeem us from all of our sins. Flip over with me to Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to go back into the Old Testament. Oh, one thing I was going to say, and I lost my train of thought, but in the fullness of time, if you think about it, that was the perfect time for the Messiah to come. He came when the nation was there, in Israel, they didn't possess the land in their entirety. They were still had the Roman rule that was over them. But the crucifixion, you think about, in, I think I believe it was AD 70 when Nero came and destroyed the, the temple and trampled and scattered the Israelites. But it was the right timing in which God, if you were to go before, to, if he would have came too early, Israel would not have been set up but the right time in which God sends forth the Messiah to come to his people. And his people rejected him and put him on the cross. But this was the plan of God all along. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And we looked at this this morning that Emmanuel means God is with us. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, and begin reading in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, 
and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And we looked at that this morning and we looked at how a child was born and the child was born from Bethlehem. But the son was given, the eternal son of God, the one that was with the father throughout all of eternity past. And the Son was given, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And we see the Messiah within these verse, you see two comings. But you don't really see it from the perspective of the prophet Isaiah. But as we look fuller into it and we see it developed, you see that at one point you have the birth and you have the suffering. But then it goes on and how the government's upon his shoulders. He establishes the kingdom for Israel. That is still yet future. And where we left off this morning was Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. And begin reading in verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. You see, God is very specific in the Messiah, and he's very specific in his prophecy. It's not just any, as we talked about, it's not just any Jew that's going to come from any of the 12 tribes of Israel, but it's very specific of Jesse, the father of David, that this lineage of the Messiah is going to come forth. And this branch shall grow out of his roots, and we know it comes down through David. It's very specific in who the Messiah, who the lineage is going to be. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. We know when the Lord Jesus Christ walked on this earth, the Lord Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God uh, hovered above him at his baptism as a dove. The Spirit of God was in power in the Lord's light, life and healing and bringing forth miracles of making the lame to walk and the blind to see. But the most important power that the the Lord Jesus Christ had, and that was to forgive sins, to forgive people of their sins, and to transform lives, and to give them a new nature is the power of the Spirit of God in changing lives. Number three, verse three, his delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, this is future in his second coming. And with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Now we're going to continue on reading because I want to just give you a glimpse of what the millennial kingdom is going to be like. This is a future kingdom that God will establish. The Lord Jesus Christ in his second coming will establish. Verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leper shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the, the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. 
They shall not be hurt nor destroyed in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day they shall be the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is yet future. And we're not here to get into this quite yet, but this is future and what we get to look forward to in the millennial kingdom in which after the second coming of Christ, when he establishes his kingdom, there's going to be peace on earth. There's going to be true peace. There's going to be a restoration of what it was like in the Garden of Eden. For the first time, we're going to be able to walk up to the lion and pet his mane. We're going to be able to snuggle in with the polar bear and all his fur. It's going to be a glorious time of where you're not going to have to worry about the rattlesnakes and the cobra's holes and people getting bit by snakes and dying from the, the venomous poison. It's going to be a time of absolute peace. What a wonderful time it's going to be. And not only am I looking forward to spending the time with the Savior and seeing this glorious time, but I love animals. I look forward to the time you get to go up and enjoy the animals as God has created and intended in the Garden of Eden for us to ride on the backs of a grizzly bear and play with these ferocious animals we've never been able to touch. And in some manner, some people tame them, but... Um, that wild side's always with them. There's going to be this day and time. And it's going to come and be put into place after the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, his second coming as the Messiah returns. Let's continue on and, and, and look. Turn to Isaiah chapter 52. And one of the things we're looking at here, particularly before we hit the second coming, is the first coming in which... The Old Testament has described this Messiah that he will come. And not only he'll, be, he'll come of this lineage, but he's going to come and suffer and die and be cut off. You see, hundreds of years ago this was prophesied, and this came true when Jesus came as the Messiah. Look at verse 13 of Isaiah chapter 52. I want you to read, listen to the words that between 52 and into 53, and I'm going to continue to read, but I want you to listen to this because a Jew, an unbelieving Jew that doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah doesn't understand these verses. They can't make sense of this because they don't understand the seriousness of the sin issue. That man cannot just come to a holy, righteous God and not have sin judged. That's impossible. God is not a righteous God if he does not judge sin. He's not a just God. And in order for him to be a just God... He has to satisfy the righteous demands of the law, and that is either one, you pay for those sins. You go to hell for all of eternity and pay for every transgression you've committed. For the wages of sin is death, and the cost of one sin is eternal damnation in hell to where the wrath of God is poured out, where the fire is not quenched, or you turn to the Savior the one that came and died on the cross, the one in those three dark hours absorbed the holy wrath of God in our place. There was not one sin that was spared that was not paid for on the cross of Calvary. Jesus endured it all. He paid for it all. Scripture says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might have the righteousness of God. His righteousness is transferred over to us. 
But see, until this takes place, we can never be reconciled back to God. You could never know God until sin is dealt with. And this is what this chapter describes, is the suffering servant, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, that came and died for us. Let's read in verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high, just as many, <clears throat> just as many were astonished at you. So his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. And what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of dry ground, he has no form of comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. This is the cross of where God pours out his wrath upon him. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. And we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Look at this. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is on the Messiah. This is on the Lord Jesus as he came. The Lord has laid on him all of our sins. Yet he was sinless. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was, a lamb, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was a willing sacrifice. The Lord Jesus was, didn't open his mouth, didn't complain, but allowed them to drive those nails into his hands, into his feet, and to lift him up on that cross, silent, willing to die for us. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. He was sinless. Verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. The father was completely satisfied with his son. He loved his son. God has no joy in sin. But the righteousness of Christ and how he took our place and sacrificed himself. Yet there's an aspect of the redemption and the personal Lord Jesus Christ. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. I don't understand this. But I believe it. 
the Lord was bruised, and he was bruised by, his, by God. He was put, and he has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, and he shall bear their iniquity. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Hundreds of years before the Messiah came, before the Lord Jesus was born, this was prophesied. Described as the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah, the one that had to come and to die on the cross for our sins, to redeem us of our sins. Here it's as clear as day in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 53. But yet the prophets of old or during the time of Jesus, didn't recognize this suffering aspect of him. That the Messiah had to come and die and to suffer. They wanted the, the aspect of, of the, the ruling and the righteousness and the military leader and the one that was going to throw the oppression off of Rome. They missed this aspect of him. There's, two, that, that there's actually two aspects or two comings of the Messiah, and that is the lamb and the lion. And here we have the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Turn with me over to Daniel chapter 9. There's a lot we could say about that chapter and in, in a lot of these, but we have to move on. Daniel chapter 9 is, you have the prophecy of the 70 weeks. And we're going to look at this more in detail if we have time later tonight, if not another time. But um, this is a tremendous prophecy. But I want to start reading verse 20. Because we're going to read it now, and later on I'll probably make reference to it if we have time. If not, we'll, we'll pick it up another time. But verse 20 says, And now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin... And the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, <clears throat> being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, I have come to tell you, for, <clears throat> for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the manner and the understanding and understand the vision. Seventy weeks he's going to give here. Now, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your holy people <clears throat> and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now just keep in mind those, those that's been listed there in verse 24 of what's going to take place. 
Verse 25 says, Now know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, and the street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome time. <coughs> it says, And after the 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood, till the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offerings, and on the wings of the abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now we can spend a lot of time talking about this prophecy, but Smarter guys than I am, they have added up the weeks and from this time forward all the way to the time that the Lord Jesus came and the Messiah came has been 69 weeks. And it says, and after the 62 weeks, which would make it 69, look at what it says here. The Messiah shall be cut off. This is the whole point I've come to this portion of scripture right now. To show that in the Old Testament it shows that the Messiah is going to be cut off. Messiah was going to die. And see, even Daniel within this vision sees this. Now, I want you to notice that the 70th week, and we're going to come back to this later, but the 70th week is a tribulation week. And you see in which the Antichrist rises up, and he's going to make, uh, and it says here, he's going to confirm a covenant with many for one week. And notice the, the Antichrist is not going to rise up and make a covenant, but he's going to confirm a covenant, meaning it's already in the works. The nations are already, along with Israel, are, are, are negotiating. But yet when the Antichrist rises up and comes along, he will confirm it and get Israel to agree with it and lay down their arms. And in the middle of the week, he's going to be to set up an abomination of desolation and bring an end to sacrifice and offering in which he's going to set up the worship of himself. But what I want you to pay attention to right now is the tribulation period has not occurred yet. You see, it's 69 weeks, and then you have the 70th week. But where are we in between then? They call this the parenthetic period, the time in which God has stopped dealing with Israel, the church, or, or stopped dealing with Israel, the nation, but is gathering together a bride. And he, he has stopped time in which we're going to look at a little bit later, but this is the time in which he will resume dealing with Israel. But that's going to take place after the rapture, the secret coming, when he takes the church to be with himself. But just to, to, to note the time frame here, keep this in your mind, and add this to your theology and your understanding of, of, of the times and the seasons and everything that's taken place, is that according to God's history, 69th week, Messiah is cut off. The next step in, in, in dealing with his prophetic plan is the 70th week. But right now there's a pause. There's a pause because he's gathering together a church, a bride, for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's gathering us together, and one day we will meet him in the air, and he will take the church out of this world, and then he will resume his dealing with Israel and with the world and setting up his kingdom. Look over at Zechariah chapter 9.
Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, in the description of the Messiah that was to come. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, this is where they didn't see again. Once again, the Messiah coming, not riding a horse, not conquering, not going forth with the sword, but lowly and riding on a donkey. And we know the Lord Jesus and his triumphal entry into Jerusalem when it was time to present himself, he came in as such, lowly and riding on a donkey, and his people rejected him. Look over at Zechariah chapter 12. I don't have time to read the whole context, but look at verse 8. And in that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the one who is feeble among them, and the day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, and the, like the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Look at verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me, whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And it goes on and talks about how they're going to mourn for the one, the Messiah, that they're going to see the nail prints in his hands, the one that they pierced, the one that they crucified, the one that they rejected, that, one, that came and preached unto them, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They mocked him. They spit at him. They beat him. They plucked a beard from his face. They crowned him, all right, with a crown of thorns. But there's going to come a day when Israel, when all the world is going to see the one in whom they have pierced, the one with the nail prints in his hand is going to be restored and come back. He's coming again. And the first time he came as a lamb, and that's where he got the nail piercings. The second time he's coming as a lion. We could go on, and in Psalm 22, and as well as Psalm 69, all the Messianic Psalms that it talks about, in prophetic Psalms of how the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one that was to come, the anointed one, would suffer and die. But in the closing last few minutes, I want to look at the triumphant return. Now, we've already mentioned, and we'll look at this another time, but there's two phases to the coming, the second coming of Christ. And if you were to be um, dogmatic, you would say the second coming of Christ is when he returns to earth. But there's a secret coming. There's another phase to his coming in which he comes and he meets in the air and he takes the Christians that are in this world right now that are in Christ and all those that are dead in Christ will come that will be transformed and risen from the grave and those who are alive will remain and be caught up together with him in the air so shall we ever be with him this day is going to come where there'll be two pilots fly in a plane and one will disappear 
There'll be a teacher teaching a class at school, and he'll be raptured, he'll disappear, he'll be gone. You'll be working with a coworker, and if you're not saved, that coworker will be gone, he'll be disappeared. See, the day is coming in which the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return for the church, and there's nothing in the prophetic order that has to come place before the rapture of the church. Nothing has to take place. There's no events. There's no anything. When you come to the second coming of Christ and returning to earth, there's a lot of stuff that has to take place. And we see signs and we see um, uh, different examples. As the Lord says with the fig tree, when it begins to produce its fruit, speaking of Israel, you know the times are at hand. We know the great apostasy that takes place in the last days. <coughs> that people will be living like the days of Noah. That the Lord is going to return like a thief in the night. When people think there's safety and he's going to come upon them with destruction. But the rapture of the church is going to take place first. And one thing we will we'll look eventually, but you see the rapture is when he comes and takes the saints out. The second coming of Christ is when he comes with his saints. When he comes with the church. We are with him there and we will come and follow with him wherever he goes. Look at Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 1. And I want you to think of this is going to be a glorious day. This event is going to take place in history. No matter if you believe it or not, no matter if you agree with this or not, this day will come. The Lord Jesus Christ will return to this earth. Look at verse 14, chapter 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in the midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Verse 3. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. I'll just picture this, verse 4. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee through my, through mount, my mountain valley, and the mountain sh valley shall be so reached to Azil. Yes, you shall flee, as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah the king of Judah, Thus the Lord my God will come, and all the saints with you. It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will be dimmest. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor light, but at evening time it shall happen, that it will be light. And in that day it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them towards the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, the Lord is one and his name one. Sake of reading, switch over to verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations will come against Jerusalem, shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of the tabernacles. Go to Revelation, chapter 19. There's a lot more verses on his coming, but for the sake of time, we'll take those up another day. But I want to close this 
this uh, message out with the coming of the Lord and this second and glorious coming. Verse 11 of chapter 19. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a horse, a white horse, and who, he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Notice this time he's riding a horse, whereas his first coming, his first advent, he was on a donkey and lowly. Look at how he's going to come this second time. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And we know from John's writing in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God. This Word of God, this eternal one, is the one that's riding this white horse. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on the white horses. That's the Christians. That's us that have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And if you have been redeemed, we're following him. It doesn't say we're going to fight, but we're following him. We're with our Lord. Verse 15, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of all those who sit on them, and the flesh of all the people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Here you have the battle of Armageddon where these nations rise up thinking they could take the Messiah and overtake Israel. It's not going to happen. Verse 20, then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 24. You see, I didn't write this. I didn't make this stuff up. This is the Lord. This is the word of God that he has left for us. Verse 31 of chapter 25. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you Blessed of my Father, 
Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. And I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did you see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did you, we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, As surely I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or, or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, As surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, it did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Turn with me over to Second Thessalonians chapter 1. See, there's a day of judgment coming. And all those that have rejected the Savior are going to face him. All those that have rejected the salvation that has been offered to them, there's going to come a time where they're going to face the one that died for them. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 5 will begin in reading, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, since it is righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his angels. This is phase two of his coming, in which he's going to come and return to earth. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasures of this goodness and work of faith with power, that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our Lord, of our God, and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to come a day when the Lord Jesus is going to return to earth, and we're going to return with him. There's going to come a day in which was prophesied in the Old Testament, that's referred to as the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is a day in which, a time frame in which God intervenes into the affairs of mankind. You're going to see the seven years tribulation that's going to take place. You're going to see the wrath of God poured out upon Israel for rejecting them and dealing with Israel and for the unbelieving nations. You're also going to see a time of blessing in the day of the Lord. And that's when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, riding on that white horse and puts an end to all the opposition and restores David's kingdom here on earth, a literal earthly kingdom. The Lord Jesus is going to sit and reign from Jerusalem. 
and we will be with them there. And Israel in its entirety will possess the entire land of Israel, not surrendering any portions to it, but fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. And God's going to fulfill David's covenant, which he made with David. This day is going to come. It's in the future. And just as sure as the first came, coming came of where the Lord came and was born in Bethlehem, he came as a lamb. There will be the day when he comes as the lion. Let's close in prayer. Our gracious God and Father, we just humbly pray before you. And we stand in awe of your word. And we thank you that you are not slack concerning your promises. But your timing is perfect. You are in control. And we know that your word says that you are long-suffering. And your patience is because you're not willing that any should suffer. And that all should come to repentance and to salvation. For today is the day of salvation. Lord, we know the day is short. Tomorrow is not promised to us. Let us live in light of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus that he could come at any time. Change our heart, our lives. Change our perspective. Let us not worry about tomorrow or next year. Let us worry about today for any given day. Your son, it'll come the time when you say, go get your bride and we'll be gone. We know he's anxiously waiting to bring us home to be with himself. And we look forward to that day. But until that day comes, may we live and glorify and honor you. In the name of Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.